Amen. And good morning, Moraine Valley Church. This morning, we're closing up our series on the book of Ecclesiastes, which really makes me excited, not only about this morning, but actually next week, we're going to start a new series we're calling People of Promise. Now, I got to tell you something. This series has been percolating in my heart for 37 years. I'm not joking with you. It it was in my last year of seminary, a class, and God opened up a whole new world of looking at the Bible to me, which we'll tell you about next week. But we're going to, we're calling the people of promise because it's God's promises, and there there are some in particular that shape the whole story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is a story of what God is doing. And so we're going to understand the Bible and what God is doing in a big picture sense through this series from beginning to end. We're going to find out that his promises not only shape the story of the Bible, it shapes our history, it shapes our present lives, and it shapes the future. And we're hoping by the time we get done with this series, we'll all be able to put all that on the lower shelf in a way that we can understand that and approach our God and our Bible in a whole new and a fresh way. So I'm looking forward to that series, and I I hope that you'll be with us every week. If you're not here, be with us online, uh, because this is an important series. But this morning we finish up Ecclesiastes. We've been preaching through themes of Ecclesiastes, not verse by verse, but major themes of the book. And this morning we're going to look at a theme that runs side by side, really they're opposites of one another. It's a theme that not only runs through Ecclesiastes, but through all of wisdom literature, whether it be Proverbs, uh, whether it be Job, uh, whether it be some of the wisdom Psalms. And it's the theme of wisdom and foolishness. I want you to turn to your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're going to start off right away seeing something very important. As powerful and as beautiful, wisdom is in a life. It only takes a little foolishness to stink it up. Look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 1 says. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Simply saying this, you know, you got this beautiful pot that the perfumer's putting together, a perfume, and some flies die in it. And the dead flies outweigh the, the beautiful smell Uh, of the perfume because in a sense it's kind of like weightier, it kind of spoils it, it kind of stinks up the perfume. Just a few dead flies in this big pot of perfume. So in the same way, a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. What he's telling us is it just takes one foolish word one foolish act, 
one foolish remark, one foolish decision, one foolish pleasure, one foolish outburst. Fill in the blank, that's all it takes to take a life that's been lived well and is full of the beauty of wisdom for that to stink up the beauty of that wisdom. And then look at verse two of the same chapter. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. They're two different paths. <laughs> They're not, it's not a two-lane highway that are running next to each other. They're two different paths that are going just the direct opposite of one another. And in many ways, foolishness is the anti-wisdom and wisdom is the anti-foolishness. And so we're gonna learn this morning about this whole thing called wisdom and foolishness. We're gonna understand what they are and then we're gonna do this. We're gonna ask ourselves the question, which one do I fit more into? <laughs> am I a wise person or am I a fool? That's where we're going this morning. So let's start. What is wisdom and what is foolishness? Well, there's two, two verses in Exodus to give us some insight into what wisdom is. The Hebrew word for wisdom is hakma. Now, if I did it like the Hebrews say it, uh, the H is a guttural sound, and the way they taught us in seminary to do that is practice like you're gonna spit a hocker. <laughs> That's how you do the H in Hebrew. So I won't do that for you this morning, but you can go home and practice your Hebrew this afternoon. And, uh, but hakma, is the word that is used here for wisdom. And so we start here in Exodus 28.3. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to concentrate him, to concentrate, yeah, consecrate him that he may minister as a priest to me. You know what he's saying here? You know, by the way, the word skillful and the word wisdom come from the same root word. <laughs> and so we get a little tip of what wisdom is. Wisdom is a skillful, and he's picturing it here in the ability of these people to sew the garments that the priests are gonna wear. And so what we see here is, is that God is filling them with skill or filling them with wisdom, filling them with the ability to sew. Now, just a couple uh, chapters later, we see the same thing true of the tradesmen. In the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, it's interesting. Again, the same skillful skill. The second word skill is the exact same word that is used in the book of Proverbs for wisdom. So, and again, it's that same just little uh, play off of one another. They're, they're from the same root word. They're, they're very close in the Hebrew. If you leave that up for just a, another second, that would be great. And, and so what we see here is, is that he has put wisdom, skill, the skill to do these trades to make the temple and all the, the tabernacle and all the things that God has given them to do. Wisdom is skill. 
Skill is a well-developed ability. So wisdom is simply this. It's living life skillfully. For me as a man, you as women can interpret it in your context. That means I want to be a skillful husband. I want to be a skillful man. I want to be a skillful father. I want to be a skillful pastor. I want to be a skillful friend. I want to be a skillful neighbor. I want to be a skillful ambassador for Christ. In other words, I want to do it wisely. I want to have the ability to do this like a skilled sower or a skilled tradesman, but I want to bring it into the different areas of my life. That's what wisdom is. It's the ability to live life skillfully And as we learn in the book of Proverbs, we see here, God says, skillful, I have put skill in their hearts. Wisdom is something that God gives us. And it's a supernatural gift, a work of God in the heart of a human being who's trusting him, where he gives us the skill to live life well. Well, that's what wisdom is. So what's foolishness? Well, there's a couple verses that, uh, well, let me, before I go there, by the way, turn to Proverbs chapter nine. Yeah, let's look, because we're gonna be in Proverbs quite a bit today, so let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter nine. We saw this a few weeks ago, but I want to remind us because it, you know, we just need to write these things in our heart. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, tells us where we begin if we want to be wise. Proverbs 9, 10 says this, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Same word as skill. <laughs> exact same word we just saw in Exodus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now this is called synonymous parallelism, which means it's saying the same thing in different words. The first line is telling us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, guess what the fear of the Lord is? It's knowledge of the Holy One. And it's not just an intellectual knowledge. The Hebrew word that's here is used a personal, heart, experiential, close-up knowledge of God. And so wisdom is that knowing God in a way that is intimate and personal and close and experiential. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We see throughout Proverbs over and over again, wisdom and understanding running side by side. To understand is to be wise. To be wise is to understand. They're closely coupled together. So wisdom, this thing that God gives us when we are intimately related with God himself and for us the person of Jesus who we're in relationship with, when we have a knowledge of Jesus that doesn't just stop at the Bible, but it becomes what we learn in the Bible becoming a part of my mind and my heart and my will and my hands and my feet, then I'm experiencing wisdom and knowing that. So who's the fool? Well, I'm going to show you a couple verses here. These next number I'll, I'll do on the PowerPoint. 
Psalm 14.1 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know who the fool is in, in Scripture? The person who doesn't even believe in God, doesn't even believe there is a God. So what happens when you don't believe there's a God? You run life on your own, don't you? Listen to what uh, Proverbs 1.7 says. While the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. They despise it. They look down upon it. And so what you have here when you talk about a fool, it's a person that has no regard and no respect for the person of God or for the word of God. And so they live life like they're their own God, making up their own rules and living off of their own wisdom. So that's the contrast between, you see, between someone who's wise and someone who's a fool. There's four major categories we see in Scripture that talks about the one who's a fool. First of all, it's their relationship with God. We just saw that in Psalm 14.1. They say there is no God. So they have no relationship with God. They don't even believe God exists. The second thing is their attitude towards learning. We just saw that in Proverbs 1, 7, that this person despises knowledge. They look down on it. But listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 13. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king. So here's the contrast, a young lad and a king. The young lad is wise, the king is foolish. Well, why is he foolish? He tells us why. And a foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. Brothers and sisters that are up more in my age, I hear it from, I know that, I know that, I've known that for years, I hear that. You know what? Be careful. Because you might be playing on the edge of foolishness because uh, what we're hearing here is that the old person who's wise is going to keep on learning. They're going to keep on learning instruction. They're going to keep on receiving it. And they're going to keep on learning everything they can to know what God has for them. And then also we see in Proverbs 18:2, a fool does not delight in understanding. They have no delight in understanding. Instead, they rather like revealing their own mind. How do you like stop and think about that? Here's a person who really doesn't have understanding, but they're talking all the time, and they want to tell you what they think, and they're talking to you out of a context that somebody has no respect for God and no respect for his word. So their attitude of learning is, is they, they have nothing to do with it when it comes to God's truth and God's word. What about the way they talk? Proverbs 18, 6 through 7 says this. A fool's lips bring strife. They're creating trouble all the time and conflict. And his mouth calls for blows. Actually, once in a while, as God's saying it, they're, what they're saying actually is calling for somebody to punch him right in the mouth. <laughs> A fool's mouth is his rune. 
and his lips are the snare of his own soul. Just as you listen to him talk. You know, they, they create conflict. Uh, they, they're a ruin to themselves and they're a snare to their own soul. We also see this in Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools, they spout folly. Then there's just one more area, their walk. Proverbs 10, 23 says this. Sports fans, you should be able to relate to this. Doing weakness is like sport to a fool. If you like playing, you know, whatever sport it is, many different ones, you know what? For a fool, wickedness is just as fun and competitive to them as sports is to you and I. But guess what, wise one? And so is wisdom. Wisdom's like a sport to the man of understanding. And so uh, what will tell you that whether you're wise or a fool depends on, you, on the, what, what you delight in and, and what you find joy in. And then also in Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. He keeps doing the same thing over and over again. He thought, man, you would have thought he learned. You thought after, you know, what happened to him with that last decision, you think he'd never, but here he is back doing the same thing again. The fool repeats what they do over and over and over again. And so this is my summary as I tried to study out verses on foolishness, primarily in Proverbs, and this is, this is the way I summarize it. A fool's trust is in himself rather than the Lord, because he believes in his heart there really is no God. A fool no longer knows how to receive instruction. Instead, he hates knowledge, he despises wisdom and instruction, and does not delight in understanding. Rather than listening and learning, he's constantly talking as he loves to reveal his own mind to others. His mouth spouts folly and brings about his own ruin. It's a snare to his own soul. His words bring about strife in relationships and once in a while call for a punch in the mouth. A fool's folly, or I'm sorry, a fool's ways are always right in his own eyes. And his ways are, but his ways are full of rebellion and sin against God displaying just how foolish he is. Doing wickedness is like a sport to him. He's constantly losing his temper and either raging or laughing at the wise. And he repeats the same old stinky stuff over and over again. When you're around a fool, you can find no peace for your own soul. And the annoyance that comes from a fool is heavy upon your soul. So that's kind of the, the difference, you know, that, that, that's what a fool's like, and we saw the wise person is just the opposite. They're, they're the antis of one another. So here's the question we're gonna ask now. Which category do I fit into more? Am I wise 
or am I a fool? Now, before we go there, let me tell you this. It's possible to be a believer and have an area two of our lives that are foolish. You find what I'm talking about? So, you know, it isn't like everything in my life is foolish, but there might be a couple areas that I'm living like a fool in. But it is possible to be a believer and your whole life be lived like a fool. That's what First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 calls the carnal Christian. The man who's living in the flesh calls him a babe in Christ. He describes him this way. He's living like a mere man. He's a believer, but his life is no different than the world. And that kind of person can be a believer whose whole life is no different than that of the world. Now again, there's times you have to be wise and when your life is like that long term, to say, did I ever really come to know Jesus? That's another discussion. But all I'm telling you is this right now, it is possible to be a, a believer and still live your life like those who don't know Jesus. So let's start with a pop quiz. You ready? Score yourself. How, and you don't have to, I'm not going to tell you to tell your neighbor this because you guys are so humble here, you don't want others to know how wise you really are. So how wise do you think you are? One says, I'm a dummy. Ten says, I could have taught Solomon. <laughs> Where are you? Give yourself a number. How wise do you think you are? One is I'm a dummy, 10 is I could have taught Solomon a few things. You got a number fixed? Okay, here's a second question. How well do you take criticism or correction from somebody else? Give yourself a number. One is I hate it. Number 10 says, bring it on. I want to learn everything I can learn, even if it's not pretty. Where are you at? Try to be as honest as you can when you give yourself a number. I got to be honest with you guys. Recently, I told you we have a consultant. He worked with us in the past. He's working now. He's known me probably about four years now, and I work close to him. He knows pastors all over the country. So I decided to do this just about a month ago. I said, Ted... When we talk next week, I want you to give me the good, the bad, and the ugly of Pat Peglo. You know me, and you know pastors. Tell me, what am I doing good? Where am I in trouble? And where do I need to grow? And I got to tell you guys, I prayed all week. I said, God, you got to make me ready, because I knew that next phone call was about his evaluation of me. So where are you at? When it comes to others, do you look for it? Do you invite it? Um, do you love it because you can grow? Or are you really somebody that kind of shies away from that and kind of hates it because your heart just doesn't respond well to it? You got a number for yourself? How many of you have the exact same number for wisdom and criticism? Okay, I got, I see a couple hands. I'm going to tell you what, those who have the same number have the proper evaluation of themselves according to Scripture. You're as wise as you can take criticism. 
It's what we learn in Proverbs. So the real number of how wise you are is more connected to your ability to take criticism than how smart you think you are. Look at in Proverbs. I trust you in Proverbs. Let me show you a couple verses about this. Proverbs 12. I think you're in chapter 9. Now we're going over to chapter 12. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline, instruction, correction, loves knowledge. You love it? You love knowledge. You love wisdom. You love being corrected. You love being instructed. You love being, you know, uh, those things. You love knowledge. Chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. See, when you talk about discipline, rebuke, synonymous. <laughs> what he's saying that discipline here is talking about correction, and he's talking about a rebuke. And you know what? A wise person is going to listen to the, the instruction, the corrections, the rebuke they receive, but a scoffer don't tell me that stuff. I don't even want to hear it. I'm not even going to listen to it. Turn to chapter 15, verse 31. Fifteen thirty-one says this. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof. Again, reproof is correction and criticism and whatever will dwell among the wise. You listen to that, you receive it, you're going to be walking with the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself. Guess what? You're doing it to your own hurt. You're hurting yourself by not accepting this. But he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. And what do we learn about understanding? You look through Proverbs Wisdom dwells in the heart of him who has understanding. Understanding and wisdom run on a two-lane highway together uh, throughout the wisdom literature. And so if you listen to correction, you're going to be wise. So the first thing we do to test ourselves, say, how wise am I, is take a look at how well do I receive correction from others. And I know we're all going to say, but it's the way they do it. It isn't what they said to be honest with you, it's usually what they said we use. It's the way they said it as an excuse. Because remember when David came out of the city and that guy was saying all these things, hey, David, you want us to kill this guy? And David said, no, don't touch him because what he said may be of the Lord. He said it all wrong. But David said what he said may be of the Lord. Let's give it time and see, see what's going on. So be careful about always backing people off. It isn't what you said, it's the way you said it. You know, people, I, I trust most people seek the best they can to do it well. Um, but the important thing is what is the point that is being driven at? And like David, whether they said it well or not, saying, God, what do I have to sort out here? What do I need to receive? What do I need to hear? So that's the first area. Here's the second area. 
We love to talk about how foolish our culture is. You know, the, the culture says there is no God. So what have they done? They've removed God from the schools. They've removed God from politics. They've removed God from the court systems. They've removed God from the marriages. They've removed God from our sexuality. They've removed God from our parenting. They've removed God, and let me say his word, by the way, from their morals, from their values. And even some churches today, unfortunately, have removed God even from the churches. And they've replaced it with what? The experts of the world. Those who have no regard or respect for God or for his word. And so the world is being run by people who have totally rejected God and his word and they're operating off of the best that they can come up with. But here's something that's more important than that. Are you living as if there's no God? Let's, let's, let's get away from talking about the world for a moment. How about you and me? Are we living as if there is no God? In our politics? Hey, guess what? Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. And some of us are putting our trust in the politics and a particular persuasion of politics is the answer to the problems we have in this world. I believe Jesus wears a MAGA hat, make America godly again. And you know what? We are in this place here where so many Christians are getting so caught up in the politics and they're trusting in the politics. And let me tell you another thing, if it isn't even as trusting in it, the way you talk about it, the way you post about it, Brothers and sisters, you know what, how would you, we gotta ask our question, what would Jesus do? How does Jesus think about these things? How does he respond to these things? And you know what, there's a lot of Christians, they verbally say, I'm a believer. They intellectually say they're a believer, and I actually believe they are believers, but they're not living like a believer when it comes to the political arena. How about in our marriages? Is Jesus the center of our marriages? Our parenting? Are we taking the latest wisdom from YouTube and Twitter and the experts of the world? Or are we taking God's word on how to do that? Our beliefs about our morals and our sexuality. Is it the current culture we're listening to? Or is it the word of God? The list goes on and on. But it's very possible for us as believers to live as if there's no God. We're calling our own shots. You know, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Savior, Messiah, is the promised one who is going to come to fulfill all these promises we're going to talk about in our story of the Bible when we look at that next week. But Lord means that he's the king. He's the boss. Bring it down to earth. Who's the boss of your life? Is it you or Jesus? Who's calling the shots? Who's making the decisions? Who are we looking for when we're making these decisions? Are we, who are we trusting in? Are we trusting in our own strength? In my own best thinking? In the best practices? 
and, and the best resources I can come up with? Brothers and sisters, we really need to ask ourselves this. Not only do I believe in my head there's a God and value his word, and, uh, but and not only in my speech, but am I living it in my life? Because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. You know that. He gave an illustration right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus closed the sermon like this. He talked about two kinds of people, a wise person and a fool. That's the way he closed the sermon on, on the Sermon on the Mount. The way that determined if they were wise or foolish had to do with the way they responded to this book. Now you gotta remember that story. Because what happened in that story, it isn't that one person hears the word and the other people never listen to it or never pick it up. In this story, they both heard the word of God. So the issue isn't whether they're exposed to the word of God or not. So everybody in this room today has heard the word of God. So he's talking to people like you and me who've all heard it. He's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, you've all heard this. And so what we see here is that Jesus said the difference is whether you apply it or not. The wise man acts upon the words of God, the fool does not. And the results of that, Jesus shows us, are this. If a big storm comes, and the person who is wise, the person who heard these words and acts upon them, it's like their house has been built upon a rock, even though a big storm comes, it won't blow that house over. But the fool, the one who heard it but didn't act upon it, when the big storm comes, guess what? Their house is like one that's built upon the sand. There's no foundation to it. And when the storm comes, he says, it'll blow that house over and great is the damage that is done to that house or to that life. The difference between a fool and a wise person according to Jesus is are we acting upon the word of God? Are we building it in our lives? And I gotta tell you, there's a lot of Christians that are building a lot of the word of God into their life. And they love to hear the sermons and they love to go to the Bible studies and they love to debate theology and they love to do all this stuff and that stuff. What we gotta be asking ourselves is, what do I take from this and add to my life? How do I apply it? How do I put it into practice? What does this say about my life and the way that I live? When we do that, then we're people who are wise that will build a life whose foundation won't be short. So which are you? Remember, we learned the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen to what Job 28 says. It says this, Behold of the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart, depart from evil is, oh my goodness, are you surprised to see the word understanding with wisdom again? Depart from evil is understanding. You know what? Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning point. Our relationship with God. 
A personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the place for me and you to begin to be wise. But guess what? We don't start with a personal relationship then move on to something else. What it tells you, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. We go deeper and deeper in that relationship with Jesus. And I'm taking more and more of his word. And when I learn about Jesus as a shepherd, and we sung about a thousand names today, each one of those names, I don't just learn them intellectually, but I begin to experience Jesus in such a way that each one of those names become a reality in my life. So when I say that Jesus is the good shepherd, I've learned to trust Jesus that I, like a sheep, am foolish, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, but you know what, my hope is in the shepherd. And I've learned not just to learn the verses, but to trust in the shepherd who according to Peter is the guardian and the shepherd of my soul. Jesus, I need you to sort out my thoughts. I need you to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I need you to help me understand this emotion. Lord, you gotta lift me out of the dumps. Lord, you gotta pull me back and restrain me from there because the spirit of Jesus is living right in my heart. And in your heart as a believer, so the question isn't, do you know all the verses about Jesus as a shepherd? The question is, is are you living your life as if Jesus is your shepherd? And the list goes on and on and on. So brothers and sisters, this morning, the fear of the Lord, you saw these before, but I'm gonna review these for you. Uh, three PowerPoints about my definitions of what the fear of the Lord looks like. It's such, there it is. It's such a deep respect and awe for Jesus that I trust him, obey him, and avoid evil. This is putting the, um, trying to take my study of the fear of the Lord and trying to summarize it into words that just I can own. It's a deep respect and awe for Jesus that so impacts my life that I trust him, obey him, and avoid evil. Here's a second way to say it. It's a high view and value of Jesus that so impacts me that I walk in his ways. And here's the final one that really tries to capture many of the words in Scripture that talk and attributes about God that the fear of the Lord is connected with. It's such a high regard and wonder for Jesus' holiness, his power, his wisdom, his majesty, and his judgment that it causes me to trust and obey him and live a holy life. The fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. And what we do is grow in a relationship like this with the person of Jesus Christ. We gotta understand this, wisdom is not found in a book. Wisdom's in a person. It's in the person of Jesus. Now we're gonna to go to communion now. Do you have a communion cup, by the way, who doesn't? Raise your hand because I want you to get a communion cup and then I'm gonna close this. We'll raise it real high so the ushers can see it and bring one to you. If you want, you can turn to Colossians 2, those of you that have 
your cup already. But I, before I read this, because then we're going to go right into communion, I want to make sure everybody has their cup and that we can focus on the passage. We're going to be in Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3. Keep your hand up high. The ushers are coming. And again, we need to understand wisdom is found in a person. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You study the scriptures because you think that in them you have salvation. You know what the scriptures are doing? They're pointing to me. It's in me you find salvation. This book isn't the ending spot. This book is taking us in deeper into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And while Jesus is the truth and the spirit of truth, the word is truth. And so what we read in this book, we know is true about the person of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus and the one that works that in our lives. And so it looks like everybody's got it now. Let's read Colossians chapter two, verses one to three. As a reminder, before we go to communion, where wisdom is found. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Moraine Valley Church. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, but rather see it online through a TV or an iPad, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge, that's that experiential, deep, personal knowledge of God's mystery. Well, what's God's mystery? That is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is in God. Wisdom is in Jesus. And when we walk and relate ourselves rightly with Jesus, valuing him, wondering about him, loving him. And the more we grow into that experiential walk with Jesus day by day, the wiser we become. So as you go to communion, I want you just to think, what is God speaking to you today? Maybe it's about your ability to receive criticism. Maybe it's about areas in your life or your whole life that you're living no different than the world. If yours line up, if your friends lined you up with all their other unsaved friends, they say, pick out the Christian, could they pick you out of the line by your lifestyle? If they can't, you may need to do business with Jesus this morning about a life that's not consistent. And are you applying God's word? Are you just debating over it and studying it? Or are you saying, God, what can I take from this that can change the way I live my life? What's the one thing Jesus is speaking to you about today? And then ask yourself this, because the wise person applies it, right? What's the one thing I'll do this week about what Jesus is speaking to me about? So as we go to communion, remember that Jesus loved you so much that he gave, well, I shouldn't say God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, who willingly went to the cross for you and me so that he'd pay our penalty of sin 
so that that could be removed that separates us from the Father so we can come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which becomes the beginning point of wisdom. And as we grow in that, we get wiser and wiser. Communion is for those who know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I'd encourage you to be a time to say, Jesus, show me yourself. Help me understand this and talk to somebody after the service that's up front. We'd love to tell you about how to walk with Jesus. So take a few moments. Turn to the wise one himself. Talk to him about your relationship and thank him that he loved you so much that he shed his blood for you.